You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. Coming up, we're going to preview Eagles, Giants this Sunday afternoon, Christmas Day. What a Christmas present. We get to watch these Eagles who've lost three in a row take on a Giants team uh, that is going nowhere and so much on the line with this game for the Eagles. Can they get right? against the Giants team that is steaming towards the tippy top of the NFL draft. We're going to talk about that with Ed Valentine, writer for Big Blue View, the SB Nation New York Giants site, uh, and also give you my thoughts on what we've seen over the course of these uh, last few weeks and uh, take a look at a couple of big games in the conference, the 49ers and the Cowboys. Really tough opponents, really tough out-of-conference opponents this week that if the Eagles can find a way to win and those two teams can find a way to lose, will certainly uh, really beef the, the the Eagles' chances of securing uh, a more a more stable position in, in the NFC playoffs. But uh, we'll do all that coming up on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. First, I want to just remind you, BleedingGreenNation.com is the place to go for some great Eagles writing. I've got a piece up there this week uh, talking about what we saw in Seattle the other night and what it kind of means moving forward for this team. So you'll want to check that out and everything else we got going on over there. And of course, at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, we have a whole bunch of shows coming at you. Analysis of uh, the Seattle game on Monday night and now looking ahead to these last three weeks and how the Eagles can stop the bleeding. So all kinds of different opinions, different ways of looking at this team and these games. And so you're going to want to listen to all of those podcasts. But of course, this is this this is the most important one right here. This is the one you come to the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed for right here. Eye on the enemy. So uh, thank you all for for coming here today and listening to this one. But check out my friends and see what they have to say as well. Well, for so long, everything was going right for the Eagles, really, except for the Super Bowl loss last year. just seemed every domino was falling in place for them, and right now it seems nothing is going right, and they can't catch a break. But uh, this week, the New York football giants come to town on Christmas Day, and these two teams getting it on for the first time this year here with three weeks left to go in the season. Kind of a a weird scheduling thing here with these uh, two division rivals playing twice in the last three weeks of the season. So it's been all season. And we haven't been able to talk to our good buddy Ed Valentine from Big Blue View about what's been going on with the New York football men giants up north. But we're going to chat with him for the next few minutes and find out uh, how New York season went really kind of went wrong this year after a season last year in which they won a playoff game. Uh, So, uh, Ed, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, pal? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All that good stuff. All the good stuff, and Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to you and yours as well, my friend. Um, 
yeah, this before we jump into the X's and O's, I, the schedule, I hate the way the NFL does the schedule sometimes like this. They've done this with the Eagles and the Cowboys at the end of the season where they lump in two games in, in three weeks near the end of the season. And I get it. You know, you're kind of banking on these two teams both being playoff contenders and these games having so much to play for. But I I hate when, when, they, when they schedule divisional opponent games against the same team so close together. They did it with the, uh, the you know, the Eagles and Cowboys uh, played, eh, it, was, it was separated by like three weeks, but um, still pretty close together there as well. So what do you think about playing twice in three weeks here, especially since these games really aren't going to mean anything for the Giants other than, you know, a draft positioning? John, you know, I don't like it either. It's just one of those deals. You know what the NFL does. They're banking on rivalry games, you know, interdivision games, you know, that that have a lot of meaning. And somebody at the NFL office thought, oh, the Giants were good last year. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl. This will be a great matchup at the end of the season. And uh, no. It just no, didn't work out that way this time. Not yeah. working out that way. But I hate it because, you know, playing the same team twice in three weeks is, is difficult Whether you do it at the beginning, at the end, whatever. And, you know, I would rather have those games spaced out during the season. I understand what they're doing. They want those rivalry games, but but still, these are really, you know, from the Giants' perspective, they don't mean nearly what anyone hoped they would have. Right, and they could have, you know, rivalry games, I totally understand that. You could have had the Cowboys here and then the Giants at the end of the season, or the Giants here and then the Cowboys next week. But, I mean, I, I realize putting together a schedule for all 32 NFL teams with venue issues and all that kind of stuff and travel and trying to make it balanced. I understand there's probably more to it than than, than we would think. And it's not obviously a, a huge deal, but still just a, a little weird thing that I don't like at all. Um, before we get into what's been going on with the Giants, because the purpose of this podcast is to keep our eye on the enemy. So for me to find out from you what's been going on with the Giants uh, this year and what things are look like heading into this game, I am always interested in getting an outsider's perspective on my football team. And obviously we've had a rough three weeks here in Philadelphia covering this football team. Nothing's gone right. A lot of things have gone wrong. The team has not played well at all. How surprised are you by what you've seen from the Birds? And in your mind, what do you think is going on? I am a little bit surprised, to be honest with you. And I think that what I'm surprised at the most, and I think Nick Sirianni kind of agrees with me, what I'm surprised at the most is the struggles on the defensive side of the football. Despite whatever injuries the Eagles have on that side of the ball, there's a lot of talent over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised I think I'm mostly surprised by, you know, by what by what's been going on on the on the defensive side, you know, the Eagles obviously changing defensive coordinators all of all of those kinds of things that 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 they've they've had to do obviously you know they're concerned about it as well but i think i think that's the thing that has surprised me the most is that the eagles have not been the defensive team that i thought they would be when it it all starts up front and i think that's what we've really been seeing these last few weeks is hassan reddick and Josh Sweat are not winning their one-on-one battles. 
And this this defense was designed for this defensive line to win one-on-one <coughs> battles. They don't scheme guys up. They don't move guys around. They don't stunt. They don't do anything creative on the defensive front. They very rarely blitz. They very rarely send extra rushers. They don't usually send your linebackers or your safeties or anything like that. They say these four guys are the guys we're paying all the money to, Fletcher Cox, the guys we invested these very early first-round picks on, and Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis, and they're saying... You're our guys. You got to go get the quarterback. You got to go. You got to beat your man. And these last few weeks, really this last month, the defensive line has not been able to do that. And so since we're kind of talking about the defense, since that's where you started, obviously a new defensive coordinator, maybe maybe not in title, but certainly in reality and the way the Eagles have handled this whole mess has been boggled beyond belief but the fact that they have these guys on the defensive line that that was supposed to cover up a lot of the issues with the linebackers and the safeties i think what we didn't expect were the two cornerbacks to get to to be as big of a problem as they have been this year darius lay less so darius lay has been okay but again his knee injury his his knee surgery last week came as a surprise to everyone and the timing of it on the same week that matt patricia gets elevated darius slay the guy that he feuded with in detroit the guy that the eagles had to come to and say hey are you okay with matt patricia coming on board as an assistant coach and and to basically make sure that all the the feathers weren't ruffled anymore he decides to get the surgery this week, the same week Matt Patricia is elevated. I'm I'm not saying uh, that's a conspiracy theory for sure, but it certainly raises red flags for me. And James Bradbury getting cooked at cornerback this year has has me very concerned. So, but I guess the initial question is looking at at the defensive line going up against this Giants offensive line. Even with the struggles the Eagles defensive line has had, how is the how is the Giants offensive line? looking in terms of being able to hold up? Well, obviously, when I look at it, the Eagles have more talent on the defensive front than the Giants have on the offensive line. But I will say this. If what you're going to do is just take your four guys or your five guys if you're going to blitz and run straight at the Giants' offensive line and try to win those matchups... I feel better about the Giants' chances of of giving Tommy DeVito some protection than I would if... <coughs> excuse me, I got this little cough that just won't go away. Yeah, you and everyone else in America right now, man. But, <laughs> yep, but, uh, but the thing that has killed the Giants, even in Week 15, they gave up seven sacks last week, and I would venture that probably four of those sacks at least came on stunts that they had no clue how to handle. Mm. And and that's just mystifying when when most of those stunts involve a 10-year veteran like Justin Pugh. You know, who knows better. But Yeah. But well, have if, no fear. The Eagles never uh, stunt and they're not going to stunt. <laughs> so, I would love to think that maybe Matt Patricia, if, if it's not going to be Sean Desai making the final calls, I would love to think that perhaps Matt Patricia would see that, would look at film and say, oh, look, the Giants are having trouble with defensive stunts. What if we were to decide to come in this week with a game plan to stunt? But I think that's the thing that's infuriating with both the defensive coaching and the offensive coaching is that it doesn't appear as though the coaching staff is even looking at what the opponents are doing how they're getting hurt, the things that they're susceptible to, and then 
utilizing that information and changing the game plan week to week. So I hope that they do utilize more stunts to take advantage of what you're talking about. But I also know that DeVito's a, a new quarterback, and I want to get your thoughts on him in, in just a second as well. But holding the ball a long time right now, and that's something I think you can expect from a, a rookie quarterback who doesn't have a whole lot of playing time. Absolutely. Tommy DeVito was never expected to play this year. When I looked at Tommy DeVito in the spring, I looked and I said, there's no way the Giants even keep this kid on the practice squad. He just, he didn't look like an NFL quarterback. And then we got to training camp and he started to look a little better and he played decently in the preseason and he made the roster as the practice squad quarterback, undrafted kid, played at Syracuse and Illinois. And... This was supposed to be a redshirt year, and the Giants have admitted as much, where they just worked with the kid and and figured out maybe if he could be part of their quarterback room in the future. And, you know, injuries to Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor forced the kid to play. And the first game he played, the Giants refused to even let him throw the ball. I think he played half the game, and I'm not sure he threw it. He threw maybe more than one pass in the second half and overtime that was beyond the line of scrimmage. So, hmm. you know, things have, have obviously advanced from there. He's played better, I think, than anyone anticipated that he would. But as you said, a lot of the sacks that he takes, a lot of the pressure that he encounters, the Giants' offensive line's not great. But a lot of, a lot of what he's getting in terms of pressure is self-inflicted. Because he's a young kid who... If the first read's not there, if he sees something he's not comfortable with, if he sees a defensive look that he's not sure of, you're right, he's holding the ball a long time, and and that's making things look worse than they are. You know, that said, he's made some big throws, he's got some swagger, he's got some guts, he's, he, you know, he, he can deliver the ball on target when, you know, when he's allowed to set his feet. So there's some things he can do. But he's a young kid, and if you put pressure on him, if you if you confuse him with your coverage at all, you, you have a chance to, uh, you know, to to uh, to get some pressure on him and and uh, and maybe you know slow the Giants' uh, not so hot offense down even more. Well, let's talk about this because last week the Eagles allowed Drew Locke to march 92 yards down the field with under two minutes to go and score the go-ahead touchdown. So the Eagles are not averse to allowing bad quarterbacks to beat them, or, or at least not starting caliber-level quarterbacks to beat them. Zach, Zach Wilson also beat them earlier this year. And those guys didn't play great in either of those two games, but yet at opportune times, the Eagles' defense wilted in, in certain situations. Now, um, in, in some of those cases, those teams had some, some weapons on the outside that they could utilize. Certainly the Seahawks with DK Metcalf had a big weapon that they ignored for most of the game and then rediscovered him on that final drive. For the Giants, their skill position players, I know they worked a lot this offseason to try and get a little bit faster, to try and get some uh, some new juice into, into there. Uh, Darren Waller certainly was a, a big acquisition during the course of the offseason, but it just... It hasn't worked out, and and right now, it, it, as you look at the roster, it doesn't look like the Giants have as much on the outside to to take advantage of maybe a James Bradbury who is a step and a half slower than he was a, a year ago. Can you kind of assess the skill position talent in terms of receiver and how they match up with the Eagles' defense? Well, first, I do have to say it was kind of entertaining. 
on uh, on Monday night. No, it wasn't so, entertaining at all. No, not it was it was it was, it was, nope. it was very entertaining <laughs> from a Giants perspective. Sure. To basically watch the game winning drive for Seattle be where's James Bradbury? We're yeah. gonna throw the ball there. And I think every completion on that drive was was over a helpless James Bradbury. It who, was. And this is the reason, one of the reasons why the Giants moved on from him as well as he played last year for the Eagles is that, you know, he he probably was going to require big money and, and, and you hate to, you hate to pay that big money, you know, to a guy who probably is, is closing in on the backside of his career. So you know, Bradbury's been a really good player, but but that was kind of enjoyable. Oh, and then Julian Love coming up with the with the with the game-ending interception was nice too. These are not none of these are good things you're saying, Ed. None of these are good things. None of these are pleasant things, and you should move on well, to another I'm topic. Sm- I'm smiling. I'm smiling. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in terms of the this Eagles defense, of course, you know, Bradbury, a former Giant. Was second team All Pro last year, and, and the fall that he has uh, that he has experienced this year has been significant. It really is amazing um, where where he has landed now. But the Eagles really don't have any choice but to continue starting him with Darius Slay on the shelf for another couple of weeks. So, do you see this Giants offense? And and we haven't even talked about Saquon Barkley. He had a big year last year. He's been very quiet so far this year. Haven't heard much about him or much from him. Do you see them kind of easing up on Saquon Barkley these last three weeks in order to kind of keep him healthy for twenty twenty? seeing as how right now losing football games would even be more advantageous to the Giants. Of course, Dable's not going to be thinking that way, but keeping Saquon Barkley under wraps a little bit, maybe not using him quite as much as you would say, like if they were fighting for a wild card spot? Well, that that certainly makes sense to me, okay? And I've written that this week. That makes sense to me. I would love to see a little bit of, of Eric Gray, rookie fifth-round pick, running back, and see what he's got, see if he can be the number two back next year or be part of a rotation. I don't know what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. He's on the franchise tag this year. That's true. I I can't imagine the Giants moving on from him, but that's possible, uh, you know, because they they couldn't reach a long-term deal last offseason, you know, after another year of – of wear and tear and another and another leg injury, I'm not so sure the Giants are going to be happy about forking over a long-term deal this offseason, so I don't know. But I certainly would advocate backing off Barkley a little bit. Uh, Dexter Lawrence is another one who's been, you know, dealing with a hamstring injury and playing limited snaps the last couple of weeks, and I would think that would continue... You know, you you had asked about about the offense and the weapons, and you know, part of that whole deal. Darren Waller's missed a bunch of games, which was the risk of that you took when you acquired him because he's had injuries the the two previous years. Jalen Hyatt's a guy that they they love. They love the speed. He draws a lot of comparisons to to Deshaun Jackson. But it, there's a big learning curve coming out of that Tennessee offense to what you're asked to do in the NFL, and he, you know he's been up and down. Wandale Robinson, you know, coming back from torn ACL, is really starting to to round into form and playing well. But it's been so hard with the state of the offensive line to to really run any consistent offense this year. I mean, the Giants have given up. I don't even know. I think it's 76 sacks now. 
I mean, they're they're threatening to be only the second team in NFL history to give up 100 sacks for this for a season. Golly. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, uh, let's flip the switch uh, and look at the uh, the Eagles' uh, offense against the Giants' defense. And obviously, the Eagles' offense has been sputtering. Uh, they have failed to score 20 points offensively for each of the last three weeks. And we found out uh, here on, on Wednesday that Landon Dickerson will not play against the Giants on Sunday. He had surgery on his thumb. It's not expected to be a long-term absence. He's not going to be on IR, but he won't play this week. They're, they're you're not going to have it, – it's well, we don't know if they're going to have Cam Jurgens yet. Uh, if, if he's unable to go, the Eagles will have uh, two different starters in the, uh, in the lineup for the offensive line. But even when the starters have been in there recently, Ed – they just have not executed. As you watch the All-22, these very good offensive linemen who have been excellent throughout their careers are just not executing in, in a lot of different ways. And we see on offense that the skill position players, these, these great wide receivers, not executing. And we see Jalen Hurts. And obviously he was sick last week. It certainly looked like after the first drive, the dude ran out of gas. I don't think he should have been playing if he was that sick because he just he just didn't look like he had it. And... But he's been off a little bit all year. Like, the, the offense as a whole with the Eagles has just, they have not been able to build on anything. They have not been able to kind of have one play make sense to the next, to the next, to the next. And we've they've been getting ripped for their lack of creativity. I don't know if you saw, um, but uh, Christian McCaffrey on the Manning cast the other night was basically predicting the plays that the Eagles were going to run based on the formation and was nailing it. Like, the Eagles, Dan Orlovsky said, the Eagles are basically running three different formations right now, three different plays and some variations off of those different things. There's just, there's no creativity right now. And so as a fan, I can't decide, is this more on the players? Is it the fact that the coaching staff has allowed defenses around the league to catch up to what they're doing and they haven't adjusted in in, in return? As you look at this offense, and specifically as you look at Jalen Hurts right now, the guy seems to be playing hero ball. He's not taking what the defense gives them most of the time. When they do, the Eagles are very efficient and move the football down the field, but turnovers and all these other things really getting in the way. When you look at what Jalen Hurts is doing right now, what do you see in this quarterback who last year looked like the the, the second or third best quarterback in football and right now is far from that? Well, I do think it's interesting that you use the phrase hero ball. We hear that all the time with Josh Allen in Buffalo, where they ask him to do too much or he takes too much and try on his own shoulders, whether they're asking him to or not. I I keep coming back to the Eagles' final drive the other night. Mm. They're basically... I've seen Jake Elliott make 61-yard field goals to win games. Absolutely. All right? Yeah. The Eagles are 12 yards from putting Jake Elliott in position for a 60-yard field goal. And and what do they dial up? They dial up a deep shot that they didn't need to take, and Jalen Hurts throws that into double coverage and gets picked off. I mean, the play was never open, and... You know, that to me is an example of hero ball. That's an example of, you know, biting off more than you needed to. 
all they needed right there was a field goal, you know, to at least, uh, I don't even remember. I don't, was it a three point game at that point? It's a three point game. Field goal you, ties you, the game. Field goal ties the game. You go to overtime, but they didn't need, they didn't need the big no. shot. They and Kenny needed- Gainwell, Kenny Gainwell sitting right there to his left with the nearest defender 25 yards away. You dump it off to Kenny Gainwell. You probably get him, you're probably in position right then and there. Right. But, but what what they were saying this week, Ed, is that anytime they see AJ Brown with single coverage, they're going to throw to him. Like he's the first read. That's and and Jalen's going to throw that ball every single time. Which but he didn't I, have single coverage either. When you look at not it, not yeah, you're you're right. Eventually, Love came over and and made the play. But I, I, on the snap, it looked like that's what it was. I think Jalen Hurts thought that's what he had, and that's why he went in that direction. And my whole thing mm-hmm. is, know where you are in the game. Like right. you, even if you hit that ball. It doesn't really do anything different than if you'd gotten 15. It's a better field goal shot, but you're not scoring a touchdown on this drive. You just didn't need it, and that's that's where I think the Eagles have just been made so many stupid mistakes like that. Jalen Hurts, especially. Well, here's here's what's interesting, John. Did we, you know, as an NFL media group, did we all underestimate the impact on the Eagles? of losing both coordinators last offseason? Did we all underestimate how much that... Yeah. (laughs) The national media may have been up on that. We have been... That was one of the biggest worries Eagles fans had coming into the season, was losing Shane Steichen and losing... Not losing Jonathan Gannon. That was that was addition by subtraction, and even even with all the nonsense going on, I don't think this defense is doing anything better with Jonathan Gannon. But losing Shane Steichen, we are clearly seeing was a monumental issue. And I, you know, I, I think that's part of it. You're adjusting to, you know, you're, I, you know, they saw that for a little while in Buffalo with Ken Dorsey replacing Brian Dable. They did well, but it was different. Mm-hmm. There were things about it that didn't work as well. And, you know, it's it's not seamless, and I think maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's something that we didn't that we didn't put enough stock into because, you know, one guy's not going to see the game exactly the same way as the previous guy did. That's absolutely right. And Steichen just had an innate ability to kind of build different plays off. And one of the things I was reading this week is that Steichen would take a look and see what uh, what was beating other defensive coordinators and and incorporate some of that stuff into his game plans. Like he did a very good job of scouting the other team. And it just, to me, as I, and I'm an outsider, I don't know what's, what the exact process is, but I think most people are outsiders when it comes to what these NFL teams are doing on a weekly basis. And it just doesn't seem like any adjustments are being made at all. And, but there are plays available. There are plays open. And a lot of this is on the quarterback. Jalen hurts is just not seeing the field. He's making bad decisions. He's regressed in this area of his game that he was supposed to improve upon from, from 2022 to 2023. We are asking ourselves coming into the season, what? how can Jalen Hurts possibly get better? What can, can he get better at? Because last year was so good, he improved everywhere. It was like, can he get better? Like, what, what, what? And everybody kept saying, seeing the field, knowing the game, having that intuitive feel, knowing where to go with the football. And that has regressed this year, as well as some of the physicality that he's been able to play with in years past. So, I mean, that we're just, we're going over old territory here. And I, I want to find out about the Giants. How is Wink Martindale going to come into this game? We know he loves to pressure. We know he loves to blitz. Will we see more of that this week? That's a good question because, 
Wink Martindale always, he says pressure breaks pipes. I think the Minnesota Vikings are the only team in the NFL right now that blitzes more than the Giants do. That is what the Giants are known for. And yet, those of us who who follow the Giants, who cover the Giants, are sitting here scratching our heads about what Wink was doing on Sunday against the Saints. You have a Saints team that was missing Ryan Ramchek, who's the, the... who's New Orleans' best offensive lineman, a Saints team with a with a quarterback in Derek Carr who doesn't handle pressure well, who's had some of his own former teammates say that, Dan, that Derek Carr doesn't handle pressure well. And what the Giants did on Sunday against the Saints was mostly rush four guys and sit in zone coverage. And I'm like, that is the anti-Wink Martindale game plan and why would you bust that out this week? Mm-hmm. So so I don't know. I would I would think that what the Giants would do is is try to pressure you know try to hold up on the outside. Deontay Banks has been playing really well. They've played a little bit more zone in recent weeks than they had earlier in the season and and that's been okay, but uh but I would think they would try to pressure but coming off coming off last week's game plan, I'm just not sure because I was very surprised that they that the Giants kind of sat back and rushed four, and and didn't really get after Derek Carr. So yeah. I've been mystified to be honest with you. The Giants with Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka on the offensive side, with Wink Martindale on the defensive side, they were lauded last year for for having a schematic advantage in most of the games. They were lauded for their game plans. They were lauded for their use of personnel, for for getting a lot out of what they had last year. And I've questioned a lot of a lot of their game planning this year. I've questioned a lot of their use of personnel. I've questioned a lot of decisions that have been made. And and I've been surprised by that because Last year, you you questioned very little about what they did. Yeah, no, and and I think right, I think this week, if 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 both Cam Jurgens and and uh, uh, Dickerson, Landon Dickerson, are out, you're looking at Sua Opeta at left guard and Tyler Steen at right guard. Steen, the rookie, uh, he's a big kid, but uh, there's some inexperience there, and uh, I, I wonder if they would be able, how they would be able to handle the blitzing. Uh, if Wink Martindale is is bringing that noise. So we'll see how it all shakes out and whether or not this Eagles offense can get better against a, a Giants defense that ranks uh, 25th in DVOA. The Giants offense ranks 30, pardon me, 31st in overall DVOA. So if, if ever there was a, if ever there was a get right game for this team, this Eagles team that badly needs one, it's bringing the Giants into Philadelphia, a place the Giants have struggled tremendously over the years. Uh, and especially this is a matchup the Eagles have been winning repeatedly. They won all three games against them last year when the Giants were more competitive and they had their starting quarterback. So uh, being the, the fact they are, last look, 11.5-point favorites um, would lead one to believe that the Eagles, despite all their troubles, should win this game, Ed. How do you see it shaking out? Oh, I see it as a get-right game for the Eagles. You have to see it that way. I'm not sure... Just based on the way the Eagles have been playing, I'm not sure that if I was betting the Eagles that I would lay the 11 and a half. No, I but, wouldn't. <laughs> but yeah. 
especially that's grown since the since the opening odds were announced too mm. so but but I definitely I see this as a as a as a game the Eagles will win yeah, the Giants if you get to if you get to to 21 24 points you're going to win this game I just I don't see the Giants the Giants putting up a whole lot of points so you know Tommy DeVito has done fine but but again, you can you can take advantage of that offensive line. You can take advantage of some of his inexperience, even though he hasn't turned the ball over very much. And uh, you know, it's just it's just difficult for the Giants to to get the ball consistently to to Jalen Hyatt, to Wandale Robinson, to Darius Slayton, to Darren Waller. You know, when they're when they're having a difficult time up front. Mm. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I think the Eagles will win this game, and I'm going to give my prediction in, in just a few minutes as well. Uh, but I certainly, I, I can't, I can't pick the Eagles to blow to win any game comfortably this year until I until I see some uh, drastic improvement. And and there there have been some extenuating circumstances these last few weeks with these uh, with these Eagles games that um, I'm also going to get into in in just a couple of minutes. But I do appreciate your insight, Ed, into what's been going on with the Giants and uh, the first of two meetings that will take place in the next three weeks. Of course, this one coming on Christmas Day. So um, I know both of our fan bases uh, will be hoping to get a nice Christmas present uh, on Christmas Day. We'll see how it all works out in the end. Ed Valentine, folks, make sure you're reading everything he's doing over in Big Blue View, at Big Blue View, the SB Nation Giants site. Ed, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy. I always appreciate it, buddy. All right, no problem, and uh, we'll be talking again uh, in a week or so. Probably. You got it. All right, have a good holiday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, before I get to my uh, my Eagles thoughts, I do want to touch on uh, Ravens 49ers and uh, and Cowboys Dolphins. Uh, the Ravens in San Francisco to take on the 49ers. Uh, you've got the NFC's top seed against the AFC's top seed. Eleven and three teams. Both. This will be only the third time since the NFL merger in 1970 that the teams with the best records in each conference meets in December or later. Uh, the first time it happened was in 2005 when the 13 and 1 Colts took on the 12 and 2 Seattle Seahawks in week 16 and then in 1977 actually so that was the second time it happened the first time it happened was in 1977 when the 12 and 1 Broncos and the 11 and 2 Cowboys met in week 14 uh 14 each of those times the NFC won Jory Epstein from Yahoo Sports uh, had these little notes so that's where I where I got this info from uh the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl uh in that 2005 season season and the Cowboys won the 1977 uh, Super Bowl. I don't know what number that was. It, you know, who really cares? Um, I, you know, this is, this is really the 49ers best chance to lose a game and provide an opening for the Eagles to maybe somehow get that top seed in the conference. But the, the Eagles are essentially two games behind the 49ers with three games to play. Even if the, even if the 49ers lose and the Eagles win, uh, the 49ers would still need to lose one of their last two games, and I believe they have. Uh, I believe they have. Uh, I know they have the Rams final week of the season. Now I'm trying to remember who they had uh, in the second to last week of the season. 
Uh, oh, that's right. They're in Washington to play the Commanders, so they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna win that game. So it's conceivable that the that the 49ers could could lose to the Ravens at home. Certainly, the Ravens are a, a great team, and the Rams will be fighting for their playoff lives. Uh, the 49ers will be playing at home in that game. I think you absolutely have to favor the 49ers to win. It's it's almost a certainty that the the 49ers will finish as the top seed in the NFC. But a loss does conceivably open the door to the Phillies, kind of. Uh, pardon me, not the Phillies to the Eagles uh, potential. Potentially uh, getting that uh, getting that number one seed in the conference. So certainly rooting hard for the Ravens uh, here on uh, on on uh, Monday night. It'll be a Monday night football game. Um, the other game we're keeping an eye on is Dallas at Miami. Last week the Cowboys had their doors blown off in Buffalo. Now really, there's not another team in the AFC that's playing as well as the Bills right now. Um, but the Dolphins are. Also an excellent, excellent team. It sounds like Tyreek Hill will be back for this game. I am picking Dallas to win. I don't think they're going to lose back-to-back games in Miami and in Buffalo. Um, Even if Dallas wins, if the Eagles win out, they win the division uh, based on the fifth tiebreaker. Uh, the, as you go down the list. And so the, the the Eagles don't need the Cowboys to lose in order to defend their division title. But certainly a loss by the Cowboys will almost certainly hand the division title to the Eagles, even if the Eagles lose, right? I mean, there's like, even if the Eagles somehow lose to the Giants this week, they would still just need to win their last two games if the Cowboys lose to the Dolphins. So um, with the way with the way the Eagles are playing, there's no guarantee that they're going to beat anybody on any given week. That has changed in the last month, where we just kind of assumed that these games would be victories. Um, but uh, I don't think Dallas is going to lose to the Dolphins. I, I think I think the Cowboys bounce back and, and play a good game on the road in Miami. And then you have the, the Detroit Lions taking on the Vikings in Minnesota. I'm picking the Lions to win that game as well, but that's a divisional game on the road. So the Lions have stumbled in these kinds of spots already this year. It is conceivable that the Lions could lose that game as well. So those is those are the top uh, NFC games that we are watching here this weekend. All right. So my take on the state of the Eagles here. You heard me talk a little bit about it with uh, with Ed just a second ago. And as troubling as things are on the field right now, the way Jalen Hurts is playing, the way the the two lines are playing right now, offensive and defensive lines, the way James Bradbury is playing right now, some of the injury issues going on with Landon Dickerson and Darius and Darius Slay. As troubling as anything else is the state of the locker room. We once thought that we were dealing with one of the most mature and stable team cultures in the NFL. It's all you heard about this team. Like they just they have they have leaders in the locker room, everything you know, the, everything is headed in the, in the same, everybody's rowing in the same direction. It's a family, players are accountable to each other, and that it was one of the most mature and stable team cultures in football. But last week's handling of the defensive coordinator situation and the comments made by players after the game are troubling. Frankly, I, I hated Hurt's commitment comments. I thought it was troubling. Because he also then, when he said that he didn't think that, you know, that there was enough commitment from, you know, from some from some aspects of the team, he didn't specify and couldn't articulate what he meant by that comment in the moments after. And I'm hoping it wasn't just empty word soup, empty blather aimed at trying to make it sound like he had a handle on what the issues were. I will say that I think he was very sick. I think he was very tired. And I think... In that particular instance, he may not have even kind of really known what he was saying, just saying stuff, you know, he's asked a question and he's just, you know, when you get asked a question that you don't have the answer to, you just kind of filibuster and your brain just starts 
cycling through words that you've heard before and you don't really you're not really thinking about it too hard. I, I'm I'm thinking that there's a possibility that's what was going on with Jalen Hurts in his in his illness riddled mind after having just lost that game, surely exhausted, dealing with this sickness that he said the word commitment and and didn't even really know what he was trying to say in that moment. It sounded good in his head, but didn't really think about what it would mean or what would be inferred by it. And that's kind of where I'm landing on that particular comment. Now, could it mean could he could he have been serious? Could he be if he was talking about commitment, what does that look like? That's one of the things I wrote about for Bleeding Green Nation this week. Is it players not playing hard enough when they're on the field? Are they cutting are some players cutting corners? Were players did, did this clubhouse, did this locker room think that I keep calling it a clubhouse cuz I'm a baseball guy. Did this locker room to start to read their own press clippings at 10 and one, you know, um, did they start to, did they, did they stop paying attention to the fundamentals? Are they not, are they not listening as well in, in the team meetings? Um, is the coaching staff getting lazier? Are the players getting lazier? Is there more finger pointing going on? Are players not having each other's backs? Are players shirking responsibilities? Like are coaches res- shirking responsibilities? Are coaches shrinking in the big moment? Like, what does it mean when he says the commitment wasn't there. And that's, I would love to hear Jalen Hurts talk more about that. Uh, and I think we'll have a better understanding once he's able to further clarify what it is that he was saying. But I think there's no doubt that whatever he meant in the postgame press conference, for the third week in a row, I think that there were extenuating circumstances that may have affected the offense and Hurts's play. There's no doubt that after the opening drive, once the adrenaline wore off, he was a shell of himself. And I think his illness had a huge impact on him. And if that's the case, based on how he finished that game, he shouldn't have been playing. His lack of energy, the illness, I think it affected his decision-making, and I think it affected the overall team strategy. I don't think that Jalen Hurts, even at whatever percentage he was, I'm not so sure he was a better option than whatever Marcus Mariota was going to give you in that moment. I'm also not sure that Nick Sirianni's messaging these last two weeks have been all that great. He, in the midweek press conference, talked about the ridiculous decision by Hertz to target A.J. Brown on that deep ball down the right sideline with 13 seconds remaining and the team needing just 15 yards for a game-tying field goal try. They had two timeouts. Nick Sirianni said the Eagles were trying to play for a defensive pass interference on the deep shot to A.J. Brown at the end of the Seahawks game. And Sirianni said he was comfortable with the play call despite the interception. He said, we felt like in that situation we had an opportunity to. But we've talked about it. The opportunity cost there was way too great for the benefit. Even if you get the ball down to the 20-yard line or whatever it is, you're going to have like six seconds left on the clock. That's not even enough time to take a shot at the end zone. It's a shorter field goal for Jake Elliott, but if you get 15, 20 yards instead of trying to hit a 35-yard play, that's much lower percentage. That's That's just dumb football. And I don't think that was necessarily where that ball was designed to go. If it was, then yes, I am highly critical of Brian Johnson in that particular situation because that is not, that should not have been the number one option there. The number one option should have been a play that draws players away from the middle of the field so you can get somebody the 15, 20 yards you need to get yourself a reasonable shot at a Jake Elliott field goal. But I I just feel like Hertz was not playing very well. I think his, I think he was exhausted. I think he was tired. I think he galaxy brained it and tried to hit a big play to Brown 
and it backfired badly. And I think this is Sirianni's way of deflecting blame from the quarterback, trying to take a bullet for his quarterback. Now, it's a goofy attempt to do it because I can't imagine a head coach actually saying, you know what, instead of taking 15, 20 yards to get us into field goal range, let's just take a shot at a pass interference, which is totally reliant on the referee reaching into his back pocket and making the decision. Even if you get a pass interference, it's not 100% guaranteed the ref's going to call it. You're putting the game in an official's hands instead of your own. And I just don't believe that was ex actually reality. So it makes Sirianni look like he's lying or that he's goofy or some. it just makes him and his quarterback look bad because it was such a monumentally bad decision and just simply not believable. So Sirianni, the way he handled the defensive coordinator thing, the way he handled the news conference this week, there's arrogance there. And you would have thought these three losses would have kind of gotten rid of some of that arrogance. It hasn't. And Sirianni, back in 2021, we gave him a lot of garbage when the team started two and five and he was saying stuff about flowers and stuff. And he he proved to be correct. He, he figured a way to get that team out of its rut. He gave up play calling duties. They committed to the run and they changed things. I've seen none of that this year. I've seen, I've seen no changes made on offense. I've seen no change in how they approach things. And he said during his midweek press conference, the criticism should come at me. And I think unfairly it goes to Brian a lot of times because he's calling the plays. But make no mistake about it, this offense has been consistently similar throughout the three years. That's the key word. Consistently similar throughout the three years. Yes, there are different things you do based off your personnel and different things you do based off the teams you're playing and what's working for you, but it all starts with me. Yes, that's the problem. You've been doing the same thing for three years. The league has caught up to the offense. You need to do something different. It feels like everyone in the room just got dumber overnight. How are you not adjusting to things? This is not how you respond to losing an adversity if you're a winning organization. Now, I realize you can't revamp the offense in a week. And maybe they've spent the last few weeks trying to incorporate different things and they haven't put it into play yet during a game because it takes time to practice these different things. We don't know that. We'll see over the next few weeks. But they keep running the same stuff over and over again. And they're running the 2020, 2022 offense when you had a Jalen Hurts who had the ability to get outside and make defenders miss. When you watch Jalen Hurts run the ball in 2022 and you look to this year, it's night and day. If you give Jalen Hurts a hole on a quarterback draw or a designed run play up the middle and you block it well, Jalen Hurts can take that ball and he can scoot for 20 yards. There's no doubt about that. But when you watch him run last year, he's juking guys. He's cutting back to the outside. He's making guys miss. And then he's accelerating past guys to the outside to get upfield. He does not have that element of his game this year. He is a plodding straight ahead runner. So you have to stop designing the offense around a quarterback who can't run to the outside. So much of what they like to do is based on Jalen Hurts being able to get outside. That opens things up in the middle. You can't have defenders, the outside edge rushers, crashing down into the middle of the field. They have to respect Jalen Hurts' ability to get around them. But this year, when Jalen Hurts has tried to get around the defense, he ends up sliding behind the line of scrimmage or taking a one- or two-yard gain. He's not able to juke guys. He's not able to make defenders miss. It's a huge difference. And listen, if that's his limitation this year because of his knee injury or whatever else is going on, then that's fine. He's a great passer. Fix the offense so that he's 
so that it, it helps in the passing game more and in the running game. You're going to have to change some things. You can't keep doing the same thing three years in a row because you are going to get found out. And that's what's happening right now. It's a combination of things. It's scheme, it's play calling, and it's Jalen Hurts. And it's also guys on the offensive line not executing their blocks. It's wide receivers not running their routes properly. Like everything has just slacked off. Some of it was probably some fatigue from the schedule. They were playing great opponents these last six weeks. There's no doubt about it. They went 3-3 three and three during that gauntlet. Started 3-0, and oh, went 0-3. Oh if you space these losses out during the course of a full season, no one's panicking. But it's because it's late in the season here and things are snowballing and you got to find a way to stop the snowball from rolling before the playoffs come in three weeks. So you got to push these different buttons to see if they're going to work. Certainly the timing of all this has made the decision-making process a little bit crazed, and it's just been such a whiplash for the Eagles and their fans on how this season is trending. What you don't want is for this season to trend like 1996. Remember that James Willis interception against the Cowboys and during the Ray Rhodes era? That phenomenal comeback win against the Cowboys that you really thought was going to springboard them to the rest of their season? Well, that team limped to the playoffs and lost in the first round in San Francisco 14 to nothing in a monsoon with Ty Detmert starting quarterback throwing two end zone interceptions. And the Ray Rhodes era was over that quickly. And then in another example was 2009 when the Eagles went into Dallas final week of the season. If they beat the Cowboys, they finish with the two seed and a first round bye, but they lose, then become the wild card and have to go back into Dallas the following week in the wild card round and they lose again. And that was Donovan McNabb's last stand. It was essentially the end of the Andy Reid era with Donovan McNabb. I don't want this season and this team to trend in that direction. And I think Jalen Hurts is better than McNabb. I think he's better than Ty Detmer. I think that I, I, I obviously better than Ty Detmer. I don't think that's the way this is going to go, but it's trending that way. And that's why they're, that's why you see the Eagles panicking so much. Thankfully they get the giants with a woeful offense at home. James Bradbury has to stay on the field. You've got to try and give him some confidence heading into the playoffs because you're not going to start Keely Ringo and Eli Ricks in the postseason. And you're probably not starting one of them opposite Darius Slay. You've got to figure out a way to keep Bradbury from getting singled up in single coverage, play more zone, and you've got to get that defensive line to get home. If that defensive line is not getting home, those high-priced guys and those high draft picks aren't getting to the quarterback, it doesn't really matter whether you've got Brad Bradbury out there or not. You're not going to be successful with those linebackers and those safeties on the, in the middle of the field. So they've got to get to the quarterback. Thankfully, they get a Giants team where where the where the they're playing out the string. The gauntlet is over. They need this home game in the worst way, and they need to come out and just play a complete game. I do think that Eagles team is in here somewhere. This didn't become a bad team. The, the Eagles have played like a bad football team. They've played like the Commanders these last few weeks. Okay, they're not the Commanders. This is a good football team that hopefully has just hit a slump. I think I think they will break out of the slump. I don't think they're going to cover the 11 and a half points, but I do think they're going to win this game. I, I'm predicting, uh, let's say, what did I say? 27-17, something like that. I think that's kind of what you're looking at here in this game for the Eagles. All right, that's going to do it, everybody, for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Ed Valentine once again for joining me on the podcast. And want to remind you to check out everything we got going on over at BleedingGreenNation.com and listen to all of the podcasts here at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Leave a rating and a review for Eye on the Enemy 
on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed, if you wouldn't mind. I'd love to know what you think of the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Eye on the Enemy.